ahead and grab a seat. Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. I know that last week we had uh, some technical difficulties uh, with uh, our power being out, but the good news is uh, it gave me an opportunity to tell people as they walked in, uh, let there be light. And so, yeah, just me. Okay, yep, I thought it was good, and uh, it was worth it just for that. But, hey, thanks for being here, and thanks for being flexible. Uh, I do think there's a beauty in being part of six locations where, hey, you may not be able to come to Bethany in West Seattle, but you can even join or go to Bethany, well, five other Bethanies, including Green Lake. And so uh, I'm just thankful that we have that that family connection with other locations. Uh, so, uh, and I don't want to talk about the announcements over uh, again, because Chris and Remy did such an incredible job. Can we give both of them a round of applause? Because those words I couldn't even read. So thank you uh, for just sharing what's going on. And I just want to redouble down and reiterate on our uh, all-church um, uh, annual meeting tomorrow. Uh, and then our all-church to celebrate as a culmination of the following Sunday. So we are so glad that you joined us this morning as we... I continue in this new series uh, called One Another, and and what a timely, timely season to be talking about and learning about what God has for us in this moment in time and how to be together. Uh, Just this week, and I just got back last night, I took a trip to see see a friend and with a friend to Washington, D.C., and boy, if you thought Seattle was a divided place, you should walk around and just eavesdrop on conversations in Washington, D.C. I had a great time. It was amazing. Went to some fantastic museums. But what, what, what I was reminded was is that our world, not just Seattle, but our world, our country, our, the cities all around are divided. And the question is, what does God have for us in this divided time Uh, And that's what we will be talking about this morning when we talk about serve one another. And so if you're able to, would you stand for the reading of God's scripture? Uh, And the the passage comes from John chapter 13, verse 1 through 4 or 5. We'll see. Uh, The word of the Lord says this. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own and who were, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during the supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given uh, all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And and to wipe them with a towel that was tied around him. Let's pray. God, thank you. That in this moment, what you're thinking about is how we can serve one another. So God, teach us to do that. Give us a willingness and a desire to to do that. Especially when the world is divided, especially in a time with so much strife, would we seek only the kingdom of God, your kingdom, 
In your name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, and what I forgot to mention, that uh, if you walked in or if you're watching online, we know that there are several of you still watching online, uh, please, we, we will be sharing communion this morning. If you need one, we can get one for you. If you're at home, would you, uh, you can grab a piece of bread or cracker or and some juice, uh, and you can join us at the end of the service as well. Last Wednesday, uh, when I was just going through some of the news, uh, I came across this Seattle Times article, uh, and it was about, again, this division, the, this, dare I say, unprecedented, which I never want to use that word uh, again, uh, time of division. This writer uh, gave his synopsis of what he saw when he was traveling around the country, especially regarding uh, the president, Pre- President Biden. And, and the article says this. He says, on Wednesday, when the president visited, visited Scranton, Pennsylvania, <clears throat> he was greeted at the corner of Biden Street by a woman holding a handmade expletive Joe Biden sign with an American flag as the vowel in the, in the offending word. <clears throat> and, and back in Boise, this writer writes, uh, a retired gunsmith, uh, has hung a blue flag from the roof of his home that reads, again, expletive Biden. And underneath, in smaller letters, he added, this person made this sign, expletive you for voting for him. Now, the article is pointing out something pretty interesting here. It wasn't that the people that had these signs, uh, especially the last gentleman uh, who had these signs, it's not just about his distaste for the, the president, okay? It's not just he disagrees with his policies and what he stands for. It, it, it was more than that. He had the same amount of distaste and, and hatred and anger towards people, anybody that even voted for him. He says, expletive, Joe Biden, and expletive you if you voted for him. And and that's an interesting thing where this person is willing to be divided, to be polarized, to dislike, to hate, to say expletive words to people he doesn't even know simply because they may have voted differently than himself. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems to be the epitome of of the, divi- the, the divisiveness that exists today, the cultural, I would say, zeitgeist in our moment is that we need to create enemy lines with those who disagree with us. That tends to be the message of this morning of, or, or of today in our society. And, and, and really, this kind of rhetoric uh, is nothing new. And it comes from all sides and all angles, left, right, liberal, progressive, Democrat, Republicans, and and even people that choose to wear a mask or not to wear a mask, people that choose to be vaccinated, that that choose not to be vaccinated. It's even inside these racial differences and even age where the old generation versus the younger generation All that to say is there's different teams that we have in our world, in our society, and we've seen these teams go at it right before our eyes and even in our lives. And maybe, if you're anything like me, you're a part of that as well. Now, hear me clearly when I give these examples. 
especially if you are a follower of Jesus. And it's this, the politics is not the culprit here. The politics is not the culprit here. It's our idolizing of it that's the issue. The uncompromising allegiance to politicians and and political parties and ideologies and certain worldviews, the uncompromising allegiance to these things are the very things that will bring us to our own demise in our own souls and and in our communities and our relationships. And again, we've seen this. A professor of policy and government and international affairs of George Mason University says this, nothing is ever permanent, but we are broken. He's talking about us as a nation. Then he also added, I'd say this is the most divided we've been since the Civil War. And in the midst of all these differences and different teams that exists today, it seems like we have at least one thing in common. And that one thing that we have in common is the way that our society teaches us on how to handle said differences. We may have a bunch of disagreements, but the one thing we do have in common is what we are taught on how to deal with those disagreements. And it's like this, and here's what I mean. It's become normalized to to double down on our own beliefs. And like the article I just read, not just double down on our beliefs and to hold to our own convictions, because that necessarily isn't a bad thing, but we're taught to go one step further. It's to hold on to our beliefs, believe our convictions, hold on to it, and bring down anybody who disagrees. So we fall for this myth of this extreme duality. We live in a culture where being polarized is actually being elevated and even touted as being heroic. It's almost as if it's a good thing. And what we need to do is we need to pick a team. And once you pick a team, you double down on what you believe. You, you grasp onto what you believe and you push away. You create barriers and you villainize and demonize those that may not agree with those very convictions that you hold. It's destroying our relationships. It's destroying our souls. And as fellow Christians, I would say it's actually becoming destructive to our relationship with God. Recently, somebody told me about this app called Nextdoor. And uh, my wife Marie and I, we were you know, having some issues around the neighborhood. So we, we down, or I downloaded this, neighborhood, this, this app. Uh, and apparently, once you download this app, you, you, you go into your neighborhood, your address, uh, and then it's kind of like a Facebook where people post different things uh, around the neighborhood. And I thought it was a really good idea because I, it was an opportunity to get to know neighbors. It was an opportunity to, to know what was going on, to have extra eyes, uh, and to really just care for our neighborhood. What I realized once I started going into these rabbit trails of comments and posts is that the very things that I thought the very thing that I thought it was, it wasn't. Even in this app, this this next door app, there was bickering and fighting amongst one another. 
Somebody posted about a recent vandalism in their home, which led to the subject somehow in all those comments about policing. And then there were different teams of the word defund and then the word defending. And so they were just going at it. And you can see that there's two distinct teams. Somebody posted about selling their Ford truck, an ad here, Ford truck, for sale. And then, of course, someone who happened to own a, a Dodge intervened and said, well, that's what happens when you buy Ford. And then one thing led to another. There was Team Ford and Team Dodge. Uh, Team Toyota tried to play, but they wouldn't let them. Uh, it was between these two. And, and then I saw, and I wish I was exaggerating, uh, but somebody posted a picture of a lost kitten. And I thought, okay, here's, here's our chance, Nextdoor app, to not be divisive and bickering and fighting. How can you possibly start a fight with this cute picture of a kitten? And then those dog lovers <laughs> entered the conversation. And there was suddenly team dog lovers and team cat lovers and apparently that's very polarizing. And, and, and I'll just say this. As a fellow dog owner, why are we like this? Why are we so unkind to cat lovers? I don't know, but I feel like that's a thing. And all that to say is it seems like even within my own neighborhood and my own neighbors, I cannot feel united. And maybe you felt this way as well. Maybe your own neighbors, your own neighborhood, maybe your own friend circle, maybe your own family circle. And I'll just say, say this, this kind of division actually also exists in the churches. Even Bethany West Seattle is not immune to this. Last week we had a fantastic a new person's lunch, and we had several people there, and, and I had a moment where I got really vulnerable with my experience in the last year and a half to two years, where, again, even the church not being immune to division, I experienced it, I saw it, and, and, and I would say this, a lot of people left, and, and when I sit down and have conversations with people, it's interesting for all the reasons why people left. We, we were too progressive, so people left. We were too conservative, so people left. We talked too much about social issues, so people left. We weren't, we were too quiet when it came to social issues, so people left. You know, we were too silent, we were too loud. And I remember when there was a time where, uh, you know, and I was just having this conversation earlier, where a time was different, where masks were optional. And so I said, okay, well, we're just going to follow what the government tells us to do. So church, the masks are going to be optional. People got upset. Now the, the, the government asks us to wear a mask inside, so I said, hey, we got to wear a mask inside. People were upset. And, and I feel like there was no winning in the last two years. And that's not, you know, to, to get sympathy or, or, or whatever. The, the point is this, is that division and polarization is everywhere. And sometimes and many times we are the problem. We pick a side. We have this uh, ball of conviction, and we protect it, and we think that anyone who disagrees is our enemies, and we push them away. That becomes the norm and has become the norm of our society. And so, like many of you, I find myself asking, what can we do about this? What can we do about this kind of division that we see that we've never seen before? Or perhaps the last time we've seen this was during the Civil War, according to that article. And sadly, the answers that I 
think of when it comes to the question, what can we do about this, always seems futile or hopeless or even conjures up a, hey, if you can't beat them, join them kind of attitude. But then I look to this text that we just read. And we see that Jesus gives us an unlikely, oftentimes an unwanted solution. Now here, he, Jesus himself was experiencing his own turmoil, his own conflict, to say the least, with others within himself, and his own division. Here's what, and we didn't read this, but here's what the earlier verses say in chapter 13. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, this is really important, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So this opening few verses that we read it sets the stage. This was the night before Passover, the, the most important meal in the Jewish context. And, and during uh, this time, right before that meal, Jesus wanted to have a conversation, have an intimate moment uh, with his friends, with his disciples, before he had to die. And he knew this was going to happen. So this was the night before the Passover meal. Jesus also knows that, yes, he's going to die, but he's going to die because his own friend, one of his own disciples, will betray him, have him arrested, which will then again lead to his eventual death. And after Jesus predicts that Judas will betray him, he also predicts that Peter will betray him, not once, not twice, but three times after his arrest. Not only will he be betrayed by his own best friends, but he's living in a time where everything he talks about is implicated in a very political world. And so when Jesus refers to himself as Lord, it's this Greek word kyrios, the Lord, the one who people follow, that was a very politically charged statement because there was only one other Kyrios or one other Lord during that time, and his name was Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire. And so everything about Jesus' world was very political, was very divisive. And so you want, if you want to see a divided world, here it was in the time of Jesus. If you want to see a divided community, here it was amongst Jesus' own best friends. And I would say if anyone had the right to call someone an enemy, if anyone had the right to cut people out of their lives, I would say it was Jesus. But what Jesus shows in our text is so radical, not just for that time, but even for us today. He shows us that the antidote to division when we ask the question, what do we do in this time of division, the antidote, he says, is not to play by the standards of our culture by perpetuating the circle, uh, cycle of violence, hatred, of needing to win arguments, of bickering, of name-calling. Instead, the antidote to division is to serve, is to serve one another. And yes, you heard that correctly. 
Now see, throughout the scriptures, there's no shortage about the Bible exhorting us to serve one another. But here in John chapter 13, again, the passage we just read, Jesus not only speaks about serving one another, but embodies it by washing his disciples' feet. Again, it says, Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, which many people did in a time of, uh, in a moment of wanting to symbolize humility. Takes off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. You can imagine Jesus on uh, his hands and knees washing his disciples' feet and wiping it off with the very thing that he was wearing. That's the way that Jesus served his friends. There's a couple things I, I, I want to know, a couple observations around this very act. Number one, and many of us, we know this, that feet are dirty. Especially in this time of the first century, feet were considered dirty and disgusting. People wore sandals, uh, if anything at all, on their feet. And they walked around everywhere. And they didn't have nicely paved roads and lawns. They had dirt. And that's about it. And so their feet were so dirty that some servants weren't even obligated to do this act of washing their master's feet because they were so dirty. Feet were disgusting. They were dirty. Number two, and probably the most important part of what's happening here, is this. In chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Jesus took off his garments. In other translations, it says, Jesus laid aside his garments to serve his friends. And the word to lay aside or to take off is this word, tetheme. It's a Greek word, tetheme. And that Greek word is interesting and important because it's the exact same words that Jesus uses when he talks about laying down his own life for the sake of his friends. In John chapter, John chapter 10, verse 15, it says this, Jesus, as the Father knows me, I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. I tithime for my sheep. The same word when Jesus says he took off his robe, he laid it aside. A few verses later, uh, John says this, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. Again, tithime, I lay down my life only to take it up again. A few verses after that, no one takes it from me, but I tithime, I lay down my own life on my own accord. The point of Jesus washing his disciples' feet was that it was a symbol of his death and resurrection. And I truly believe in that first century context, if you knew what was going on, you would understand what was happening. It wasn't just a nice gesture that Jesus was doing. It was far more than that. Jesus was on his hands and knees washing dirty feet after saying that he would lay down his garment. People around that was sitting around understood what Jesus was talking about. He was saying that this is going to be a symbol of my death, of my death for you. For you. 
He says the point of uh, the washing of his disciples' feet, it, it was a symbolic gesture of his death and resurrection. It was the message of, this is Jesus' message, I will serve you with the ultimate cost, the cost of my life. Jesus says to them, I will tip him, I will lay down my own life for you because I love you. And here's the important fact that I do not want you to miss. This is one of the most important parts. And may I remind you, he washed the feet of all his disciples, <clears throat> including Jesus. Or sorry, including Judas. Who in the eyes of the world, and for good reason, would be considered his enemy. He washed the feet of Judas he washed the feet of Peter, the one who would disown him, again, three times. And later, as Jesus was being crucified on a cross, he asks God to forgive the very men that were driving nails in his hands and feet to forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. Jesus serves with his life. Not just his friends who are good to him, but even those who would betray him. Even those that would ultimately nail him to a cross. And so what does this mean about serving? What is Jesus saying about serving one another? Well, most likely, <clears throat> it will never come down to you having to lay down, and maybe, maybe knock on what I hope it doesn't happen, but most of us will never have to lay down our physical life for somebody, although there are professions that do that, first responders, law enforcement, military, and so on. Yes, there are professions that require that, and we're thankful for that. But for the most part, most of us, many of us, will never experience a moment where we have to lay down our physical life for somebody. But what Jesus shows us is not just a physical life. What Jesus shows us is this, is that in order for serving, to serve one another, in order for serving to be genuinely serving, it must be done sacrificially. We must lay down, we must lay aside, we must titheme ourselves. For serving to be truly serving, it must be done in sacrifice. Otherwise, it's not serving at all. Again, when I was in D.C., my friend and I were walking uh, downtown, and there was a uh, person who was experiencing homelessness. And he asked if we can buy him or, or some food or give him some money uh, at this local, you know, burger shop, you know, that was just a few steps away. And I remember, and I, I didn't say this out loud, but I remember wrestling with, like, okay, what do I do? I want to help I want to help him. I don't really want to give him money, uh, but I want to buy him a dinner with this, this sandwich that he was asking for. So, so I said, sure. And I remember walking over uh, with him. We enter into the, the fast food restaurant, and I get him some chicken sandwiches. Uh, and I remember this, this battle I was having within myself. I was saying, you know, the, the right thing to do would be to actually sit down and have a conversation with him. But then another side of me was saying, but, you know, I'm on, my, I'm on vacation. I'm with a friend that I hadn't seen in years. I don't really, nothing against him, but I don't really want to sit down and just 
uh, talk to a stranger. I want to go out and explore the city. And, and so I, I hate to say this, but I, you know, bought the sandwich for him. And I said, hey, have a good day. And I walked out with my friend. And now I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but when it comes to serving and sacrifice, I would argue that I wasn't truly being sacrificial. To spend $5 on a sandwich or a couple sandwiches, uh, and I, this is a privilege, it wasn't a big deal for me. That wasn't laying aside anything. That was nothing. So yes, I can do that. I can buy a couple sandwiches. But for me to have sat down, that was costly. That was sacrificial. And I chose not to do that. And I was reminded on what Jesus meant by what it means to serve one another. It requires sacrifice to lay down something of ourselves. Now let me connect the dots real quickly. What if we not only serve those we love, because it's easy to do that, but what if we serve even those that, we, those that we deem as enemies? What if we serve the Judases in our lives, the Peters in our lives? What if we serve them sacrificially? And I think there's three possibilities that could happen. I'll, I'll talk about these real quickly. First, I really believe that serving keeps us grounded, especially in, in the season of turmoil and division and ego you know, one of my last churches, and unfortunately, fortunately, this isn't a need here at any of our Bethany churches, but the church that I was working at was getting really big really fast. And what the pastor, I was working with the high school students at the time, I was the youth pastor, but what the pastor, the senior pastor was realizing is that people were developing egos on staff because this church was, was big, there was fancy lights, and he determined that the people that were developing the biggest egos were the worship leaders. And again, we don't have that problem here. Uh, but, you know, he was saying that there be, they were beginning to behave like rock stars, you know, because there were thousands of people coming to this church. They, were, they had bright lights on them. They were talented. People, you know, really enjoyed the, the music. <clears throat> and so the senior pastor implemented this new rule that on the day, on the Sunday that you serve, if you were to join the worship team and you play music that morning, that afternoon you will clean the bathrooms. That was the rule. And the point of this new rule that this pastor implemented was that he wanted to ground these musicians. He, he wanted to bring them off their own pedestal and have them as equal players as everyone else and to see eye to eye with people. And I really believe serving does just that. It keeps us grounded. It removes us from this pedestal. And I say this because I'm guilty of this, that we put ourselves on saying that what I believe believe is right, what I believe is true, what I hold on to is fact, and the rest of you down there that don't agree with me are wrong. But when we serve each other, especially those that we disagree with, when, when, we, when we serve them sacrificially, suddenly we're on the same playing ground. Suddenly I'm not better than that person, though we think that against the people we disagree with. Suddenly, that person isn't better than me. Suddenly, we need each other. Suddenly, we're helping each other. Suddenly, there's something mutual that's happening. And even if it's not mutual, there's something about giving 
that God wants us to do that creates a relationship. Serving keeps us grounded. And number two is serving disarms. In the words of this Christian ethicist, Glenn Stossen, he says this, that the, the way of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, always breaks the cycle, and he uses this word, the kingdom of heaven always breaks the cycle of viciousness. Always breaks the cycle of viciousness. Right now, in the moment of, of our cultural division, the problem is that no one wants to stand down. <clears throat> the cycle of, 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 of mean things over here and retaliation over here, then there's retaliation for the retaliation. Then there's reta- I mean, the, the, the on and on and on and on. And when will it end? But to serve, and, and what Dr. Glenn Stossen says is that when you serve the other, when you, when you operate kingdom-minded, that breaks the cycle of viciousness. I'll give you an example that happens quite often. When, when Maria, and I shared that, I told her I would share the story. When Maria and I get into, uh, dare I say, an, a conflict, an argument, and if you're anything, if you're, uh, and I talk about the Enneagram, not that it's super important, but it gives us words. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'll say this. We're both eights. We're both eights on the Enneagram. So what that means is when two eights argue, they don't just argue, but they go at it. Because all eights, and I say this as an eight, we think we're right all the time and nothing can ever change our minds. And so uh, a common mode of operation, a common MO for me is that when things are getting heated, when we're arguing, I have to take a little time out. And so, I, you know, whether it's going for a drive or going to a different room or, or whatever it is, I go to a different room. But let's not kid ourselves. When I'm taking a little break, I'm in, I'm in the other room, I'm still stewing. And I'm still thinking about the argument that we just had. And not only am I thinking about the argument we just had, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say next. I, I, you know, I've seen plenty of Law & Order. I've seen plenty of episodes of Suits, if you're interested in that. It's a good show. I've seen all these episodes. And, and so I know what I'm doing. I'm creating all these arguments. I know why I'm right. I know what I'm going to say. I think I know what she's going to say. And so when she says that, I already have this rebuttal in mind. I'm ready to go. And so when I hear footsteps, oh, I'm ready. And when I hear the door open, I'm ready to go. And and this this has happened many of times. As soon as she walks in, she says, I'm sorry, and gives me a hug. She served in the moment of heated discussion. She served to a person she disagreed with. She laid down aside her own opinions, her own facts, her own need to be right. And suddenly my heart softened. And all those things that I was thinking about, all of a sudden they're gone. Not all the way, but most of the way. And reconciliation begins. Not only does serving keep us grounded, takes us off the pedestal that we put ourselves on, but serving disarms one another and creates a process of reconciliation. And lastly, serving shows the world, especially as followers of Jesus, that we do things different. And it's an invitation 
for others to participate in this new life. Or when the world says to keep up this vicious cycle of violence, of hatred, of bickering that we see even on apps like next door on social media, with our own friends group, with our own family. When the world says keep going, keep retaliating, retaliating, this message of serving, whether it's with our time, whether it's with our resources, maybe the way you serve the other is by offering the apology first. Maybe the way you serve the other is by receiving and, and extending forgiveness. And maybe your way of serving is to go to the person you disagree with and you ask them for coffee or lunch and you actually listen. And maybe serving sacrificially is with your emotions and, you're, and you take an opportunity to take off all the layers and you're being honest as to why you believe what you believe because of an experience that you may have had, because of a family system that you grew up with, because of a certain religion, because of a certain belief. Well, whatever it is, maybe the way that you serve is to offer the other person you disagree with all of who you are. Serving looks very different. But may we sacrifice, lay aside our own ego, our own need to be right in order to pursue the reconciliation that God has called us into. Like the article says, things are broken, but nothing is permanent. And I'd argue that living the life that Jesus lived, the way he served by washing his disciples' feet, when we serve others in that way sacrificially, even our quote-unquote enemies, relationships will transform. There will be healing. This becomes an antidote to division. So serve people that are different from you, that disagree with you, I may not see the way that you see it. And it doesn't mean to change our opinions. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree. It doesn't mean that you have to conform. It just means in the midst of that, there is a way to be united. And that way is through this. And as we enter into a moment of communion, I'm going to ask Abigail to come back up as we take a moment to reflect. And if you have this in front of you, if you're watching online, go ahead and grab your cracker or piece of bread or whatever it is so we can take this together. I want us to peel back and grab the, the cracker. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed by his own enemy, by his own friends, he says, take this in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken for you. And it's this, in the midst of so much division and hatred around the world and our own lives, this is what brings us together. Jesus served us by dying on the cross, by giving of his body for us. May we do that for others. Again, maybe not physical life, but maybe it's a kind gesture. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's swallowing our pride and our ego. Maybe it's laying aside our own opinion 
our own need to be, or whatever it is, we lay that aside as Jesus laid aside his own life. May we take this as a community together. Take, eat. And then he said, take this cup. This is my blood that was shed for you. Let's drink together. I want to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8 to close. Paul says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. God, thank you for laying aside your own status of who you are, the Son of God, and you came down to earth to die a criminal's death on our behalf. We thank you that you laid your life aside for us and you served us with the ultimate cost. So God, may we see that as a model of how we need to be serving others, especially those who disagree with us the way that you did. So this week, give us ways that we can serve those we disagree with. Is it an apology? Is it a phone call? Is it a coffee? Is it a kind gesture? Whatever it is, would you bring that to mind this week, right now? And may we be obedient to how you are calling us to live and be. God, there are convictions we hold tight to, and they are non-negotiable. But in the midst of that, you still call us to love to respect and to honor those around us. Teach us how to do that well. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's close off with this last song in worship.